And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the Evidence for Faith show. This is the show where we help Christians become thinkers and thinkers become Christians. Hello, my name is Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And together we are Evidence for Faith. We are going to be talking today about the evidence that God exists. Specifically, we're going to be building on the idea that the fact that there are moral right and wrong in the world proves that God must exist. So we're going to be talking about that today. If you'd like to join in the conversation, you can call us at 609-398-1020. And also check us out at evidenceforfaith.com. We have a all of our Shows are archived there. We have a lot of information about Mike and I there, and you can look and see if we are speaking in a local church. And you can email us, too. Um, in fact, the email account's open now, so if you want, if you don't want to call in, you can email with questions or comments. Uh, now, you know, I, I was looking over the website, in fact, recently, and I found a couple of the most popular shows, and I was surprised because the most popular show right now is one that was recent. It's from January 31st, the show on the absurdity of atheism, and that one has jumped to the number one requested download on the website, so that's pretty cool. That is very interesting. Yeah, So, so that and that was a great show. Um, and I'm wondering if the atheists are the ones that are downloading. That could be. That could I be. I would hope so. Me too. And the second most popular is one that's been popular for a while, and that is the Is the Bible Reliable? So that's from uh, October 13th show. Well, Keith, before we get started uh, in our show today uh, on um, moral absolutes versus moral relativism, we're going to get into that uh, discussion rather deeply. But before we get into that, I just wanted to make a uh, quick uh, announcement, if I might. And that has to do with the Vineland Men's Resurrection Breakfast. And that's going to be happening on the Saturday just before Palm Sunday. So it would be Saturday, the 27th of March at 8 a.m. in the Vineland High School. That's a pretty big high school on Chestnut Avenue. Pretty, And that's always well attended. It's always very well attended. They all have yeah. anywhere from 300 to 500 men uh, there. Breakfast will be served uh, by Larry's breakfast, uh, Larry Larry's Two Restaurant in Vineland, and they do a great job with a, a hot breakfast. And they have a featured speaker this year by the name of Bob Wheeland. Uh, he has been a featured speaker at this breakfast before, and he um, is vac- uh, one of the most inspirational speakers that I've ever uh, heard. This is a man who had his legs blown off in Vietnam. Um, in fact, his entire lower extremities, both of them, were blown up with a landmine. Um, so he actually was not even uh, capable of being fitted with prosthetic limbs. Mm. This is a man who actually was able to walk across America on his hands wow. by swinging his torso uh, every three feet, you know, going from hand to torso, hand to torso. Mm-hmm. He had a special saddle made out of leather uh, to cover his buttocks and whatever little stumps that he had uh, remaining. And he did that from California all the way to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. Wow. Um, And to hear him speak uh, about how how the tragedy in Vietnam really affected him, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually, and how he found his uh, strength in God uh, is really something uh, to behold. So if you have 
a friend or a relative or a neighbor who's a near believer, a pre-believer, and you have a, a strong faith and you've been trying to witness to this individual, I would recommend strongly that you invite this friend, this man, to attend the Violent Men's Resurrection Breakfast on Palm Saturday. That's uh, March 27th, 8 o'clock at the Violent High School uh, for breakfast. Tickets are uh, $10, and for more information, I have a contact number here, uh, Grace Community Church, that's 856-767-1141. That's 856-767-1141. And you will not be disappointed, that's a guarantee. Great. Yeah, I've enjoyed every time I've gone, I've really enjoyed it. So I'll be looking forward to this year's also. I ran across a couple of books I thought I would mention that I thought people would be interested in. It's it's a very um, interesting mixture of apologetics or defending the Christian faith and humor. Now, you don't run across that very often, so uh, I've put them on my Amazon wish list so that if anybody out there is you know, listening, might be somebody who's going to get me a present coming up. They could look on my <laughs> wish list and, and get me this. But it's Is your wife listening Oh, it could be. Oh, maybe. Could be. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but it's Everything You Always Wanted to Know About God But Were Afraid to Ask by Eric Metaxas. And it's done in a question-answer format. And um, from what I... the reviews I saw and looking at what I could find on Amazon. It looks like it's a hilarious book. Well, it sounds Woody Allen-esque. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and there's three versions of it. There's, it's now, uh, come, he's come out with a third uh, volume. The second volume is everything else you always wanted to know about God, but were afraid to ask. And the uh, final one, the most recent one, is everything you always wanted to know about God, but were afraid to ask, the Jesus edition. And so it's uh, apparently a very funny book, but has contains a lot of truth. And it's it sounds like it's a great book for high school or maybe even junior high, because you know how junior high kids, uh, really, if you're not entertaining them, they're probably not listening. Uh, so it sounds like it would be a good gift for uh, that age, too, I think, and also for somebody who's young at heart like me. So... <laughs> um, but uh, And then I also found a very—now, this one's a little more adult-oriented, probably is good for college age. This is a video series called Seek Social Justice, done by the Heritage Foundation and World Magazine. So uh, I looked through parts of it's—part of it's available on the Internet, and you can order a DVD and a study guide, and you can use this as a study group— um, and it looks very, very good. It talks. It gives very Christian, very conservative, economic ways of helping the poor and how to get involved in reaching out to your community. It looks really good. So I'm going to be studying that more. I think I'll be downloading the videos online and taking a look at that. It's called Seek Social Justice. And it's, you know, anytime you hear that term social justice, immediately you think of, well, the left just abuses that term. And what they're really doing is they're agitating to create revolution and to uh, induce uh, more regulation and more uh, uh, taxing the rich to give to the poor. And in this case, they're, they're, they first they teach you what real social justice is, and then they teach you how you can do it in a, from a Christian and conservative viewpoint. And uh, one of the speakers on there is Star Parker. So I don't know if you know who Star Parker is. She's a conservative uh, writer who was a welfare mom, 
and uh, and she decided, you know, that she just couldn't live that way, and she started her own business and had a very successful business, and now is a successful businesswoman, writes about the um, conservative issues and uh, how, you know, um, things like uh, welfare is really harming people. So, um, so that looks like a good series. Now, one final thing before we get going is we had a question that came in by email. So this is an interesting one. How do you explain the existence of so many religions and gods? How do you explain the existence of so many religions and gods? Now, uh, this comes from an atheist, uh, so I'm thinking that what his question is about is that he's probably trying to say that, well, this kind of dilutes your position, right? I mean, you as a Christian have just one view amongst many. So what makes your view right and there's wrong? And how do you explain the fact that there's all these other religions out there who supposedly have just as good a claim on reality as you do? I think that's where the the where this question comes from, because otherwise it's just too straightforward. I mean, how do you explain the existence of so, so many religions and gods? Well, I claim that that is evidence that God exists, because it proves that there is an innate desire inside human beings to call out to their creator. And so if they're um, unaware of a true way to worship God, they will invent their own way to worship God because they innately know that God exists, that he's there. And one of the things that we'll be talking about today is how people can know that God does exist. And it's one of the ways that people even in deepest, darkest Africa would know that God exists because they have inside them a moral um, conscience that tells them that certain things are right and wrong and that they ought to do certain things. So um, that's how I would answer the question. Any thoughts, Mike? Well, I, I think it has to go back uh, to the garden. First and foremost, I hate religion. I think that religion is made by man. Uh, religion is all about doing stuff to communicate with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go all the way back to the garden at the point of creation, um, there was no religion. There was God and there was man and there was fellowship. There was constant communication, okay, but with the advent of the fall and the separation that God um, um, announced at the point when Adam and Eve fell away and, and, and did what they did, and that was to uh, eat from the tree, uh, he basically ex- excommunicated them, threw them out of the garden, and then it was up to them to uh, come to uh, a fellowship, understanding, or a religious process to gain back God's good graces and good favor. And from that point forward, I think that all of these other religions propagated, mm-hmm. but there were man's futile attempts to reach back to God. And the point I always make when we talk about religion uh, is that um, the difference between Christianity, the true religion, and all other religions is that all of the religions are about doing things to reach God, and the point is is that Christ reached down to us mm. and did it once and for all. It's what Christ did, not what we can do from a religious point of view. And that's what makes Christianity so different from all those from other, all other religions. religions. That is correct. Excellent. And you know, the other thing I, I say is that, yes, it's a delusional factor, uh, but I think that's part of the uh, serpent's attempt to propagate his own lie, starting in the garden going forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So, well, if you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And you can, the call in line is 609-398-1020. Well, let's get going with our topic today. We have been looking over, there's, you know, one of the issues that you can think about, and let me just ask this question so people will start thinking about it. How do you know that you're right? Okay? You know, we we typically have a very positive view of, of ourselves. You know, we think most of the time we're right. And there have been a lot of studies that have done been done about the people's view of themselves. For instance, um, if they're asked, are you above average in common sense? Or are you an above average driver? What do you think most people say? That they are. Yeah, that they are. That They, they don't say they're average or below average. They 90% of people believe that they're above average. Now, basic statistics right. tells you that the mean would be 50. Yeah, exactly. So if there were 100 people doing a test or being polled, right. 50 would be above average, 50 would be below average, right. and one of them would be right on the mean. Now, how would you know? Let's take the driving example. How would you find out? Wouldn't you have to take some kind of a driving test? Well, a driving test or some other objective parameters. Some, exactly. How many times a year are you pulled over for speeding? Have you gotten any tickets, any moving violations? Some way. How many accidents have you had in your lifetime? That's right. And some you, way. And then you compare it to the individual who's never had any of the above, right. and he would be at the top of the class. Exactly. So you have to have some objective way. Now, think about then what we think about religion. I mean, we think that we're right about our religious views. If we believe in God, or even if we don't believe in God, or the religion that we belong to, most of us have a very positive view of that those particular ideas that we have. But the question is, then, how do we know that? Maybe it's all part of this, um, you know, this positive thinking thing that seems to be human nature, that we just think that we're right when we're really wrong. That could be. Again, it's the same thing. There has to be some kind of test, some kind of criteria that you can compare your views, your ideas to, in order to determine if you're really right or not. And that's what we have been talking about the past three uh, shows. We've been talking about this test that um, philosopher J.P. Moreland, philosopher and author J.P. Moreland, talks about how do you know if your religion is right. How do you know what's the right religion? Why are you a Christian or why are you not a Christian? Mm. So he gives us this very clear uh, test that we can do. And the first thing that he says you need to do is you have to look at the natural world. You don't look at any kind of scripture or revealed uh, revelation from some religion. You actually look at the natural world first. And looking at the natural world, what can you learn about God? What can you find out about God? And that's what we've been covering and we're going to continue to cover uh, today. Then, once you know something about what kind of God created all this, and he, you know, we looked at the Kalam argument that the universe had a beginning. How do we know it had a beginning? because there's no such thing as a universe existing infinitely. That's impossible, because there's no such thing as infinity in the physical world. Um, secondly, the second, therm second law of thermodynamics, that 
um, also proves that the universe could not be infinitely old, so therefore it had a beginning. And the Kalam argument is that if the universe had a beginning, it had a beginner. It had someone, some creative will that made it start. Um, and we also know that you can't create something out of nothing. You know? Right. Now, the Big Bang uh, proponents would tell you that that's how the universe had its beginning, and I think that most of us with an ounce of intelligence will will lend an ear to that. Right. Of course, if you're a Christian, you believe that God was the initiator of that Big Bang. I call it the Big Flash, yep. because there's no sound in a vacuum or in space. So God said, let there be light, and there it was, and then he created the world as we know it. Yep. So well, we looked at that in yep. depth. We looked mm-hmm. at that argument that shows that God exists, and we looked at the design argument, the fact that the universe is very finely tuned for life to exist, and even the fact that there is order in the universe at all. We looked at the order in DNA and the information there in DNA, and all that points to a creator. Now we're going to look at the moral argument and what can we learn about God and what kind of God he is based on the fact that there are things, um, moral absolutes, in this world. Now, once you've done that, once you've looked at all those evidences for God and what kind of God he is, then you can now compare that to the different religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, the Eastern religions, and see what religion has these things right. Then also, what religion addresses the human problem? What religion really goes to the heart of why is there suffering in the world, and why do we seem to be such a conflicting, uh, have a, a conflicting nature that we want to do good, but we always do things that are wrong? What religion can explain that? And then, is there has there been a religion that has had miraculous um, evidences given for it that would be some kind of evidence that God is putting His stamp of approval on it? Mm. And then, once you determine which religion that is, and obviously by the nature of this show, we believe that that is Christianity, then you ought to try it out and you test Christianity and give it a try and see if it doesn't meet the claims uh, that it makes for your personal life. So that is, that's the whole test, and that's where we're going to be looking at this final uh, analysis of looking at nature and seeing what kind of God is out there. So this is called the moral argument for the existence of God, and it stems from just the fact that there is an objective morality out there. There is an objective moral order out there in the universe. Exactly. So we're we're going to talk about um, um, uh, objective morality and uh, the best explanations for this. So here's an assertion, Keith. Why don't we start this as a jumping point and uh, take it from there. Here's the assertion. There is objective morality that is real. Right. Some things are really right, and some things are really wrong. Right. And I think that innately and intuitively, we know that. There's something in our gut that tells us that there are certain things that are absolutely and positively wrong. And I don't care where you stand on this, whether you're... Um, you're, you're not in that camp or you're in that camp. But here's an example of that. If you take little babies and torture them for fun, that's wrong. Right. And everybody would agree with that. Well, maybe not everybody would. No, everybody would agree with that. 
Well, if not, then they are psychotic. Well, if you're a moral relativist, you might argue that. Well, they might say that morals are relative, but they would be totally wrong. And the way to prove to them that they're wrong is to say just what you said, which is that would they agree that torturing babies for fun is wrong? Well, of course they're going to say it is wrong. I hope so. So that's, yeah, absolutely they would. Uh, either other, otherwise, lock them up. <laughs> so, so there is, there are real moral um, uh, laws out there. There are morals um, that need an explanation. Why is it that everyone would agree that torturing little babies uh, for fun is wrong? The best explanation is that there is a moral lawgiver. Mm-hmm. So, true. so now what they might say, they might, if you're a moral relativist, they might say, "Well, prove it." Prove that, um, you know, that torturing babies for fun is wrong. Well, we, we don't really have to accept the burden of proof to do that. You know, there, there's, you know they, they may say, well, you know, it might be true for you, but it's not true for me. What's good for you is good for you, but what's good for me is good for me. And mm-hmm. that's, that's typically how the, the moral relativist will, will get into an argument with you. Right. But the burden of proof really doesn't have to be on us. You can right. ask them to show us why it is that they think that their position is superior to the position of a moral lawgiver and uh, moral absolutes. Right, yeah. It'd be better to ask them to prove how it's not true. Right. You know, if we make the claim torturing little babies for fun is wrong, they have to prove that that's not wrong because they're the ones that are saying that morals are relative or there's no such thing as moral order then they can prove that that's not wrong. You know, they're, if they're saying that um, there's nothing that's true for everybody, that's one good way to respond to them, is to give them an absolute, or you could say, you know, you could use murder or rape, um, you know, or molesting children or, or something stealing. like that. You know, I could I could steal Josh's uh, laptop right now and walk out of here with it, and if he objects to it... Well, that's the, that's the other thing. The other thing is to actually show them, actually demonstrate yeah. to them that, th- that they don't really believe that um, morals are relative. So like you said, if Josh says morals are relative... I say, okay, well, this argument's over. Thank you very much, Josh. See you later. I walk out with his laptop, and then he's going to say, wait a minute, time out. Where are you going? You got my laptop. And I say, well, I know. I, my, my laptop broke. I need one. And since uh, it's good for me... And it's good for you. I just need it more than you do. So therefore, I'll see you later. I'm going to use your laptop and never give it back to you. Exactly. All of and a sudden, guess what? He's going to he's going to say, "Whoa, time out." He's going to become a an, a moral uh, absolutist. absolutist. Yeah. He's going to no more moral relativism anymore. So um, and and you can do that with uh, you know any type of person. Just find out what is their hot button. Right. You know, What's really important to them. Right. You know, you know if you're if, if they're an environmentalist. And um, uh, let's say you, you and I are going to have this contest, for instance, and we're going to go to um, uh, one of the uh, protected lakes here in New Jersey uh, or, you know, protected forest, whatever. Go wherever you want to do. And um, uh, let's say we have a, a 100 gallons of um, hydrochloric acid. We're going to dump it into the, the lake and, 
and I, I'm going to guess that 150 fish are going to come floating up to the surface dead, and you're going to guess that it's going to be 5,000, whoever is closest is the winner. Right. And uh, they're, they're going to get really offended by that because they, they think that, you know, every waterway should be pristine. You shouldn't harm animals and fish and wildlife, right. and they're, they're green all over. And, uh, of course, they're going to be really upset. That's their hot button. Right. And, of course, you and I would never do that. No, of course not. But it brings out a point. It points that this person would innately know that this is wrong. Correct. And they would feel that that moral absolute, um, just as we do. Just you know, just as we do, we we believe we have these moral absolutes that are there, and you know, it's only you're a relativist usually when it's convenient. You know, when it's it helps your cause to be a relativist, then you know I. I'm not so sure there are really any sexual morals out there, you know, because those make me feel bad. So I'll say that there aren't any sexual mores out there, and then I can be free and liberated that way. So, you know, it tends to be a convenience factor thing. But when it's something that you really care about, you're, you know, a concern of yours, all of a sudden, oh, you have absolute right and wrongs that you want to try to enforce. You know what I find interesting about the uh, moral relativism from a sexual perspective is, Keith? Yeah. It, it's sort of, if you look at the hippie commune movement of the 60s and the 70s, it really was an outgrowth of the God is dead movement of the 50s going into the 60s. Yes, exactly. Okay, right. and, um, and the free love spirit that permeated the communities there. But what happened was, as these women were being passed around, Okay, mm-hmm. and they they found that their their love was unfulfilled, and that the sex was great for the guys, but it was unfulfilling for women. Mm-hmm. Okay, they they left the communes because they knew innately that it was wrong, right, and that they couldn't find happiness, um, sexual fulfillment, and love, true love, in that type of a setting. And that's one of the reasons why the commune concept collapsed. Yeah. Yep. So there are things that you know are just plain wrong. Now, it doesn't matter that we disagree on what those things are. The point that we're trying to make today is that there are such things. There are such things that people believe are just plain wrong. So they know certain things are objectively true in morality. Now, this kind of an argument, it doesn't absolutely prove that there is a lawgiver, a moral lawgiver. It doesn't absolutely prove that God exists, but it's one more evidence piled on top of all the other evidences that we've been talking about the last three uh, weeks that show that God exists. Um, Somebody could argue, well, the the laws are, these moral laws are just kind of um, universals. Um, They're like the you know, the laws of nature or something. They're just universal laws that are out there and they just happen to be to exist. They're kind of brute, it's that brute force argument. Right. Again, they're just, or, or brute facts. I mean, they're just brute right. facts about the nat- nature of the universe. But then that leaves you without an explanation for them. Right. You know, okay, um, well, that might be satisfying to you. Uh, I think it's less satisfying. I think it's more satisfying uh, intellectually to have an explanation for something that's really there and that we can agree on really is there, which is moral rights and wrongs. Right. And best explained by a moral lawgiver. Right. These these laws could just be in platonic form and yeah. didn't, didn't necessarily have to come from uh, anywhere, uh, mm-hmm. really. But um, 
the existence of the morality part of it, which I think that innately we all feel, and we're all programmed with that, and it's best explained by the existence of that lawgiver, and that would be God in this instance. Yes. Okay, so so that's part one. Part one is that, you know, that there are such things out there, and that um, shows that God exists. Now, the second thing that we notice about these moral truths, you know, like that it's wrong to steal, wrong to murder, it's wrong to rape, um, is that they have this, there's this unusual uh, thing about them. They have imperative force behind them. Mm. That is to say that they are, they act like commands to us. Um, They are things that we ought to do. So um, they're not just um, truths or just pieces of information. You know, it's wrong to steal. Uh, no, they, they, it, these are like, you will not steal. You, me right. personally, I will not steal. I should not steal. I ought not to steal. You should not murder. Mm-hmm. You know, you should not uh, lie or, or bear false witness. You know, you should not... Uh, uh, I mean, you can go right through the tens, the right. ten commandments, right? You know, so uh, they so they have this um, this force of command. Let's right. say so it's like a commander is giving them. Someone is ordering. Somebody is um, some person. That, that, that's that's the thing. They have this texture as if a person has commanded us um, to behave in a certain way. So. The solution is that the best explanation is that there is a commander, right. that there is someone giving this uh, the command, thou shalt not. Don't do these things. Um, don't behave in this way. And so, if, in fact, we do violate any of those commands, something happens to us. Inside, right. we feel something. We yeah, feel, this is the third aspect of right. morals. We can feel guilt. We can feel shame. Um we can feel badly for days, mm-hmm. months, years, yep. and we seek to fix that. We want to fix it. You know, we, we need forgiveness for that, or we want to make reparations. We got to do something to to make it right. Yeah, and 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 that is true. You know, um, and everybody feels this, even atheists. You know, they feel ashamed of what they've done. They feel guilt over something that they've done. Well, they might say, oh, these are just societal forces. You know, it's society tells us it's wrong, therefore we feel guilty. But that doesn't seem to be the nature of what we're actually feeling. When we really examine our feelings, when we're feeling guilty, um, it, it doesn't feel as if that we're ashamed in the face of society, you know. Um, I can do things, um, I can cross a moral line when no one knows about it, and yet I still feel ashamed. I still feel guilt, but no one knows about it. So how's that possible? If it's supposed to be society making us feel guilty, well, if no one knows about it, then I shouldn't feel guilty. So it seems to be that there's something more to it than just a societal guilt. It's as if we are guilty in the face of someone else. Right, like a creator, <clears throat> or or if there's a secret sin that somebody is engaging in repetitively, mm-hmm. there is that sense of loss, that sense of remorse, shame, guilt. Call it whatever you want, but nobody else knows about it but him. Right, he who is performing it. So why is that? Right, yeah, because they know that something out there bigger than them does know about it. Right, yeah, and, that, if, and hence the guilt, the shame, and so forth. If it's just an abstract moral principle, if it's right. just a 
you know, um, something out there as part of the universe that, you know, this thing is wrong only, and that's all there is about it, then why should we feel ashamed? It's like we're ashamed in front of a person. It's as if someone has caught us, and then what happens? Our face turns bright red. Well, we feel that even when we haven't been caught. So it does seem like there's more to it than that. Um, you know, you you can know um, that you violated uh, these laws because you you have this sense of shame and guilt. Or, you know, we call it a, a conscience, and that seems to be better explained um, if there's a person there, a whom you know whom against this it's directed. It's as if we're in front of. You are listening to Evidence for Faith. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And I'm Keith Kendricks. And you can call us today. The The lines are open right now, 609-398-1020. If you have a question, you want to jump into the conversation, please uh, uh, join us. Now, what about the, I'll be a caller, I'll pretend I'll be an objector, and I'll say, oh, well, I think evolution is the cause of all this. You know, I think evolution um, is what gave us these uh, moral rights and wrongs. Well, the problem with that is that this goes back to that idea of the imperative force. Evolution might give us likes and dislikes, right? But it doesn't give us an imperative force. It doesn't give us the force of that I ought to do something. So if it's, you know, um, if it has to do with survival um, and it's a good thing, let's say that human beings don't kill each other. Um, okay, well then I would, I would. It makes sense then that evolution. I would not like killing, but that's got nothing to do with thinking that I ought not to kill. That's a different level of category. Let's say that um, we could do a scientific experiment and a study that proved that our survival skills were enhanced if rape was permitted. Okay, so then by the evolutionist viewpoint that morals come from evolution, then that would be evolutionary. It would be a moral thing to rape. Right. That would be actually morally required. Right. The strongest animal in each category, whether it's human or not, uh, would be the one that procreates the best. And uh, even by societal standards, you would want that uh, strongest man to uh, be propagating his DNA. Exactly. So, so the the person who thinks that morals come from evolution would then be forced into saying that yes, then rape would be morally uh, required. So, and and then there's the opposite idea about altruistic uh, behavior. How is altruistic behavior um, beneficial? You know, it's not really if the if the world was full of um, um, Mother Teresa's. It doesn't seem like we would probably survive terribly well because Mother Teresa could easily be bowled over and, uh, you know, knocked out of competition. I understand we have a caller. Hello, caller. Are you on the line? Yeah, I was going to just ask you, raised a pretty good question there about obeying the Ten Commandments. But uh, the, the thought that I had was, suppose a person was a complete atheist, 100% atheist, uh, wouldn't it be possible for him to not to murder, steal, commit adultery, or anything else, even though he didn't believe in the Ten Commandments? Would that be a possibility? Yeah, oh. 
In fact, uh, that's actually what that's something that we're saying that proves that God exists. Um, the fact that the atheist would have inside him a conscience, a a guide, and the knowledge that these things are right and wrong. Now, remember, from the atheist point of view, these things don't make any sense. Because if there's no God, there's no moral lawgiver, there's no moral law. These things are just made up. So it's okay to do whatever you want. It's okay to murder, steal, whatever you want if it increases your survival chances. Right? Do you follow me? That's what the logical conclusion of atheism. So it is possible that a person could be a good moral person because they follow their instinctive uh, knowledge of right and wrong. It just doesn't fit atheism. It fits Christianity. Do you follow me with that? Uh, to an extent. So how about how, how about yourself? What what's your views? Do you do you? Well, I, I believe that a person could be, and there there must be. In various countries throughout the world, mm-hmm. various tribes, maybe they're small, maybe they're not, throughout the world that uh, don't even have copies of the Bible itself, uh, but they live a moral life, they yes. believe right and wrong, Yes. and uh, I'm not a terribly uh, great believer myself, but uh, if I could help an old lady across the street, or if I knew someone was hungry in my neighborhood, I would try to take them uh, a bag of groceries right. or something like that. In other words, you don't have to uh, have the Ten Commandments in front of you to do what is morally right. Now, we see, now here's the interesting thing. We are agreeing with you. We agree with you, and we think that proves that God exists. So you're saying that uh, you said you're not um, terribly religious yourself, but do you see how your own knowledge of right and wrong actually shows you that maybe you ought to be more religious. You ought to be at least be certainly more convinced that God absolutely does exist because your own knowledge of right and wrong, that it is the right thing to help an old lady across the street, makes no sense in atheism, but it makes perfect sense in Christianity. To help an old lady across the street, why, that that's against Darwinism. You know, yeah. you, you ought to push her down and take her money. It has to do with oughtness. It's that sense in your own brain, in your own gut, your own intuition that says you ought to help that old lady. You ought to help feed that hungry individual. You ought not to steal from your neighbor. You ought not to take his car or, um, you know, covet his wife. These are all things that we believe you were pre-programmed with by your creator. You were made in his image. All right, now, I'll just throw another question at you. Um, It's not what I called for, but... Uh, what do you two gentlemen think about the fact that uh, here you had Haiti uh, a month ago, and then last week you had uh, July uh, that had two terrible earthquakes, killed many people. What about uh, believing people now? Forget about atheists, but how about believers that now say, where is the loving God that he would stand by and let um, all the people in Haiti and all the people in July uh, die in these earthquakes? Well, it's a great question, and that question has been asked down through the ages. Why would an all-powerful and loving God allow these things to happen? But, you know, it goes back to the same question that the the, the disciples posed to Jesus when, when he said that uh, the end times were going to come, and they said, well, when 
when is that going to happen? And he said, only my father knows. But he predicted the earthquakes and the changes in the weather and the hurricanes and the tsunamis and the disease and the death and the pestilence. Now, I'm not one of those people who espouse that, you know, Haiti was, was picked on by God because of, you know, voodoo and all this other nonsense, or Chile was was targeted by God because of whatever it is that they're practicing there. I just think that these things were written in advance so that people would know that these things were recorded and are known to come before uh, end times. And that's... We, we have addressed this on, on past shows, and if you have access to a computer and, and you can get online to our evidenceforfaith.com, one of our shows co- covers the problem of evil. Why is there evil in the world? Why do natural disasters happen? Why do people uh, brutally uh, kill each other? Um, why is all this bad stuff happening to perfectly good people? Um, you know, what's God's plan? And, and does that mean that God doesn't exist because of that? And it's actually an evidence, another evidence that God does exist. Do you realize that if you, if God did not exist and there was no moral uh, order that we're talking about, that you wouldn't even think that that was wrong, that you wouldn't think that it was a shame that innocent people died in Haiti and Chile? To you, that would just be part of nature. That's what uh, you know, the end result of atheism is that this is all just part of nature and um, their deaths are meaningless. But you know that's not true. You know that it's it does matter why these people are dying and that there has to be an answer for the problem of pain in this world. And the really sufficient answer comes from Christianity. So that's another evidence, um, you know, and we don't have time to go into it at length, but I just ask you to go to the website and, and look up the uh, problem of pain, and you'll get a really thorough answer. Does that right, help th- you, th- caller? Thank you very much. Okay. Bye. Thank you. All right, and we have another caller, so we'll uh, pick up that line. Go ahead, caller. Uh, hello? Yes, go ahead. Uh, yes, uh, how are you doing this afternoon? Wonderful. How about right. you? Uh, I want to say, as a person that, uh, and... Uh, actual time and real time my entire life i've dealt with christianity and mine is christianity that is are you a belief believer a, a religious believer and that is of religion and that you try to do to help people and all of this uh, hiding behind denomination and uh service and, and and also worship which is all good i want to say that but Jesus Christ has said in himself, he worships outside, he is of no one denomination, and his father is of no one denomination, and it is descendant of the spirit. Now what has happened, the uh, area of teaching and scholarship has been overburdened by, say, a million and a trillion times because people don't want to follow in the footsteps the same as Jesus Christ said to Peter on the road to Damascus, Syria, when he was uh, putting uh, Christians on the cross, people of religious belief that were not of the Roman soldiers, this dictatorship, then this is where the failures of that divide of who we are and fighting to say who Jesus Christ and Almighty is of right. what faith. Yep. And we are of the descendant of the Spirit. This way we don't get caught up in different denominations. And yep. it's very simple, religion. Yep. 
And Very those good. of the greatest need. Very good of point. The, the most serious time when they was putting Jesus Christ himself on the cross yep. in Damascus, Syria, and Jesus Christ went back and said, No, Peter, don't leave Damascus, Syria. Go back. And uh, that means we as Christians have to face the most brutal of dictators of, 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 of disease and crime and corruption. Mm-hmm. And the only way we can do that is come together. Absolutely. And if there's no malice, in your heart, you can deal with anyone. I don't care what faith they are, if it's perceived as bad or good, perceptual action, you still can work within that realm of humanity. Excellent. And I want to say into that to everyone, approach everything with no malice. I agree. I agree. I Caller, that is excellent. You, you bring up a really good point. One of the points about Christianity that we can show that proves its truth is that it is such a unifying force. I mean, it doesn't matter what denomination you are, and, and you know, there are reasons for different denominations, and I understand how people want to um, be with like-minded people, but ultimately, most Christians will agree that if you are a Christian brother, you are my brother. And it doesn't matter if you're Presbyterian or Baptist or Methodist or what you are. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're following him, you are my brother. And we have a unity. We have a significant unity that helps us to be able to fight off a lot of the problems in the world, a lot of the uh, forces from uh, outside Christianity that are trying to um, uh, harm people. So. And, and you know what, Keith, his his call actually brings us right into the next point that we were going to get into anyway, and that has to do with uh, moral law. How did it come into the cosmos? How did it come into the beginning anyway? Uh, how did it come into history, uh, per se? And right. why are human beings the one that have value and equal value at that? Right. Where we're do, talking about equality. Right. Where do civil rights come from. Exactly. I mean, think about it. What is it about human beings? If if human beings ought to be treated all the same, okay? And that's what basically civil rights is, right. that we ought to be treated similarly. Equal rights, equal dignity. dignity. But think about it. What about human beings is the same? Now, I'm reading uh, Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan, and he says that all people are equal because... Um, even though they don't seem to be equal, some are stronger than others, the weaker people can band together and uh, fight against a stronger person. Well, uh, really what he's saying is that um, people are actually unequal uh, and that the weaker ones can get together, but that sometimes isn't true. What about in the case of slavery? You know, did it matter that slaves could get together and try to rebel? No, the rebellion would just be uh, oppressed, suppressed. So, so... If you look at human beings, what's the difference in human beings? I mean, what's similar about human beings? Well, they seem to be very different. Everybody has a different level of intelligence. Everybody has a different level of desire to work. People work harder. Some are stronger than others. Some are, yeah, and some look different. They're bigger, they're small, they have black eyes, or, brown eyes. Yeah, handsomer or prettier. So yeah. Bigger so, shoe size. I mean, the list goes on and on. You could, you could imagine a society where um, pretty women are... Um, you know, worshipped and adored, and the ugly women are the slaves, right? I mean, why would that be wrong in an atheistic, you know, evolutionary viewpoint? 
There has to be something about people that is the same, and that would then be the source of our civil rights. Without that, we're lost. And Martin Luther King is the one that brought this to the forefront, and exactly that is right. we are all image bearers of God. And That's it, exactly this, right. This goes right back to what our previous caller was bringing up, too. Yep. So all people ought to be treated with equal rights and equal dignity because there is something about them that's all the same, and that is that they were created in the image of God. Right. So otherwise, there's no basis for equality. Where is the basis for equality? You can't say, well, um, all people have noses, and so therefore they should all be treated the same. Well, my nose is bigger than most people, so I should be held to higher respect because I have a bigger nose than those small-nosed people. That's because your nose is higher up in the air, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, but but the point is is that this all comes back to moral justice because we have a moral lawgiver. Right. And if we're all created in the image of God, then we're all equal in his sight. And the other thing that comes up, and I, I've said this to, you know, one time— Somebody said to me, what if your daughter goes away to college and comes back with a black man as a husband? What's wrong with that? And I said to the individual that asked me that, I said, well, she is going to a Christian college, and if she comes back with a, uh, an African-American or whatever, Jamaican, who knows what, right. dark-skinned individual, I said his blood is just as red as Christ's blood. Absolutely. They're equal. And that's another example of how Christianity unites people. You know, it doesn't matter what color you are, um, it only matters that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so we can, Christianity gives you the ability to distinguish between equal and unequal when it matters and when it doesn't matter. Um, you know, let's give an example of uh, humans versus animals, okay? Mm. Or uh, here, let's go abstract. Um, let's say that your house is burning, and I can run in and save something for you. And I, I run in, and I look, and I see this very expensive painting on the wall. But also to my left, I see a wad of paper that you, you've left thrown on the floor. Now, which should I grab? Is there Are they equal, or is there a difference? Well, clearly the, the painting has some value more than a right. piece of trash on the floor. Right. Now, would it be just, would it be, would it be justice if I, if it, I said it was, well, it's 50-50 and I'll just take the wad of paper? No, that makes no sense. Right, because justice, what is justice? Justice is treating things that are equal as though they're equal and treating things that are not equal as though they're not equal. So in the case of the painting and the wad of paper, the painting is clearly of more value and ought to be treated as if it's more value. That would be justice. So the difference between human beings and animals is that kind of a difference. Human beings are more valuable and ought to be treated as more valuable. But it's also justice to treat things that are the same as though they're the same. And all human beings are created in the image of God, so they ought to be treated equally. Well, it brings up uh, the case, Keith, of um, the, the SeaWorld tragedy recently, where the uh, killer whale now has claimed a third victim, yep. but they're not going to do anything with the whale, because in their eyes, in these um, people's eyes that run SeaWorld, 
the, the animal still has value, and yet they're going to keep this animal around even though it's claimed three human lives. Yeah, it's sad. It's very sick. Very and sick. That, and that's, that's actually a form of racism, folks. It's called speciesism. Yeah, well, speciesism is the idea that humans and animals ought to be treated the same. Um, because you're just a racist species. You think your species is better than uh, other species like dolphins, and they ought to be treated the same. So speciesism is wrong. So how do you argue with somebody? Use the burning house analogy, Keith. Their baby sister is in that bedroom upstairs, and so is the poodle. Which one do you grab? Right. You grab the more valuable item, which is the human being. That's correct. Right. So, and, and the other way that this, you can see this justice is thinking about um, uh, a race. Let's say that you were going to give a prize to first place and 20th place, and they're both going to get first prize. Would that be just or unjust? That's be unjust. Un- unjust because they're not equal. They, they raced differently or amount of work that's put out. Or let's say, here's an argument for you. Should um, all soldiers ought to get a purple heart? Because all soldiers are brave. But not all soldiers shed blood. But they wanted to, or they would have if they'd had the opportunity. So you're just being bigoted by saying that those soldiers who haven't been wounded shouldn't shouldn't get a, a purple heart. Recognize those who or should you, be recognized. Or you're just being bigoted saying that gays should not marry. No, you're the bigot, not me. Right, right. <laughs> because marriage between a man and a woman is actually something different and of more value, more foundational to the society. Con- to society <laughs> and it should not be treated as if it's not. That would be unjust to treat marriage between a man and a woman as if it's different. So uh, that helps to prove the existence of God and we hope that you will keep listening. Join us again next week. And remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true. 